Hey y'all, it's your host Brandon here with a little heads up. Do the Work is a show that deals with heavy and at times traumatic moments around race and racism. So, if you don't have the emotional space to hear these discussions right now, that's okay. You can always come back to this episode whenever you are ready. We hope that you take care of you. Oh, and one more thing. Sometimes we use adult language in this podcast, so if you got kids nearby, you might want to grab your headphones. All right, now let's get started. I want you to think back to a time when you started dating someone you really liked. Do you remember that feeling of butterflies in your stomach? How excited you got when you saw their name show up on your phone? The electricity you felt when you got together. The energy of a new relationship can be intoxicating. But for people of color, there's a whole other layer of, uh, let's call it energy to wrestle with when we're dating someone who is white. Now, I know that race doesn't determine love. Uh Uh-uh, honey, my hubby is white. But when you add in this extra layer things in a relationship can get complicated. Especially when we throw in-laws into the mix. It might lead you to have discussions like this. You cannot let your mom say that stuff, especially around our children. If she ever says anything like that around our children, I don't know what I'll do. You're listening to Do The Work, a podcast that untangles the uncomfortable, offensive, and sometimes downright racist moments that happen in our personal relationships. I'm your host, Brandon Kyle Goodman. On today's show, Eric and his wife, Daniela, and how to be an ally in an interracial marriage when your in-laws just don't get it. We'll get to know them after the break. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host. Created it, been doing it for seven years. I'm Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. Now, I could tell you why you should be listening to my show, but my listeners wanted to write the ad for me, and here are some of the things they said. Not your regular Juicy podcast. Catch up on all the juicy topics from Hollywood and pop culture to true crime and beyond. Heather McDonald's Juicy Scoop always has great guests, great laughs, and great gossip. It's a comedian's take on the hottest headlines. Juicy Scoop is the pop culture news you want to hear. No BS, no filter, no filler. Raw, real, and in the moment. Throw in the hilarity of amazing comedians that you'll instantly be obsessed with, a juicy crime story, and a dash of normal life in L.A. moments, and you've got yourself an amazing week of Juicy Scoop. Two episodes every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It will never let you down. All righty, let's meet our couple. So Eric and Daniela are both L.A. natives who grew up in the San Fernando Valley. And like something out of a Hollywood movie, they probably spent years unknowingly crossing paths before they actually met. It's funny because we'll be like, oh, yeah, we both went to that blockbuster. (laughs) That's Daniela, or as Eric calls her. Danny. The community that Eric and Danny grew up in had both suburban developments and cultural icons like Universal Studios. It's a place where celebrities work and play, honey. 
Danny's childhood was pretty typical for a white kid from the Valley, but Eric says he sometimes felt out of place. Eric identifies as mixed race, so he's half Japanese and half white. And his mixed race identity, his uniqueness, his Asianness, was brought up often. His peers would tease him for liking things like sushi. Here's how Eric remembers it. I'm sure that other kids liked sushi, but I was picked out for liking it, you know? And so a lot of that was um, how I developed that sense of like, otherness attached to my my Asian identity. We're going to hear more from Eric about that feeling of otherness in a bit. But first, I want to tell you about how Eric met Danny because it is one of the cutest romantic stories I've ever heard. So they were both recent college graduates trying to navigate their social lives after moving back to the West Coast. One weekend, a group of mutual friends were out and both Eric and Danny were invited. After having a few drinks, the group eventually found their way to a late-night diner. Ugh, my favorite thing after drinks. And that's where Danny and Eric really connected. I wanted to sit next to him because I thought he was nice. He was being really nice to me when I didn't really know anyone else. They shared a slice of cherry pie. Then Eric asked for Danny's number, and she gave it to him. When he called her up later to ask if she wanted to go to dinner and maybe see a movie, she said yes. But when Eric went to pick Danny up for their night out, it turns out there was a a bit of a misunderstanding. I didn't think it was a date and realized in the car that it was a date. She informed me that, uh, um, that she did not think that this was a date. Ooh, oh, oof, that hurts. (laughs) But despite the confusion, they did have a nice evening. And because Eric really liked Danny, he thought he'd give it one more shot. I contacted her again and uh, asked asked her more directly, like, would you like to go on a date? And she said, oh, um, I'm not really interested in dating anybody right now, so um, uh, sorry, but uh, this isn't going to happen. You see, Danny had just gotten out of a relationship, and she wasn't ready for another one. So instead, the two formed a friendship, which eventually blossomed into something more. Things were going well, but it wasn't always easy dealing with Danny's family. You see, Eric was the first person of color who Danny had dated and brought home to meet the parents. And things could get a little awkward, to say the least, especially with Danny's mom. My mom was always really curious about Eric's heritage and being Japanese. Probably... A couple months into dating, and I went over to Danny's house, and um, uh, Danny's mom and dad were both uh, in the kitchen, and they were kind of just doing a little get to know me and like talking to me and asking questions. And uh, I think that they asked something probably relatively stereotypical about me being. Japanese, and it came out as, um, uh, oh, you must like such and such, uh, you're Oriental, right? Eric managed to brush off these 
occasionally awkward moments. And after years of dating, Eric decided to propose to Danny. But first, he wanted to get her parents' blessing. I did the traditional thing of asking her parents if they would be okay with me doing that. Um, I wasn't 100% sure how comfortable they were going to be with it. Um, Up until that point, they were still referring to me as Oriental. When I took uh, her father and mother out to um, brunch to ask, after I had told them what I was doing, they both said, oh, thank God, I thought you were going to ask us for money. Whoa, whoa, okay. Uh, 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 uh. No, 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 no. If that stopped you in your tracks, you're not alone. Having your girlfriend's parents suggest that you're hitting them up for money is offensive in its own right. And on top of that, they repeatedly called him Oriental. Now listen up, I don't know who needs to hear this, but it is never okay to describe an Asian person as Oriental. That is a racial slur, period. We'll talk about that more a little later in the show. But for now, let's get back to Eric and Danny's love story. Ultimately, Eric did get Danny's parents' blessing, and on Christmas morning, he popped the question. Danny was overjoyed. Yeah, I was very surprised. (laughs) I think maybe we kind of had talked about it a little bit, but I really didn't see it coming. And I just started crying. He, like, proposed, and I was just crying the whole time. I don't even know what he said. I'm a big crier. I cried during our whole wedding, too. I was just crying the whole time. (laughs) Eric and Danny have been together now for almost 12 years. They're in their mid-30s and are making plans to start a family. And you can tell, they really love each other. But these challenges with Danny's parents, and especially her mom, still come up all the time. Sometimes Eric shrugs off these incidents, but there was one moment that really cut him to the core. I, I remember that moment really distinctly because it was it was definitely one of the more defensive moments I've had. Um, and that sort of really is this kind of uh, like confrontational white supremacy that I, I just I cannot I can't abide. We were standing in our kitchen together, cooking, uh, Danny and I, um, and uh, her mother was in the other room, and uh, she was asking questions uh, about um, my family, my heritage. Eric told his mother-in-law that his dad is of European descent, that he got his freckles from him. He also told her that his dad has blue eyes. Then she immediately cut us off and said, oh, so that means if you and Danny have a child, that means the child can have blue eyes. Oh, wouldn't that be so nice if they had blue eyes? I wish that they would, they would have blue eyes. I really hope that they get that gene. That's, that'd be so nice. And I immediately started feeling anger um, and frustration and uh Uh, just sort of a kind of discomfort. I think it was also one of those things where I don't, those are, uh, that's, I don't think she realized that that was a hurtful comment or that was a, you know, a dangerously racialized comment. Meanwhile, 
Danny remained silent. Honestly, I didn't even realize that it was a trigger for Eric. Like, I, I often... I don't, I don't always want to have to sort of tell my mother-in-law what is the matter, and I often feel like I'm not being heard because she's focusing on whether I speak Japanese or not, not whether or not it's hurtful. And if I do say something, um, I'm not always sure that I'm being heard. So um, I, I would want sort of a greater chorus of voices. Coming up, if you're a white person in an interracial relationship, how can you be an effective ally to your partner? And if you're a person of color, how do you build that chorus of voices? We'll bring Danny and Eric together to talk about learning to navigate these tough conversations with Danny's mom and with each other. Plus, we'll talk to Adrian DeLeon, a professor of American and Ethnic Studies at the University of Southern California, on the deep historical roots of racism against Asian Americans. They became dehumanized, they became exoticized, and this is part of why, you know, the term Oriental is so demeaning, because um, it falls under this sort of same logics that all you Asians are the same to me. And we'll hear from our in-house educator, Debbie Irving. That's next. Welcome back. Okay, so before we bring Eric and Danny together to talk about their situation with Danny's mom, I want to put some of the offensive comments Danny's mother made into a, uh, let's call it a wider context. One comment that stuck out to me was when she called Eric Oriental. Now, like I said before, it is a racial slur used against Asian folks, but it also has a complicated history, which a lot of people, including myself, don't know about. That's why my producers called up Adrian de Leon, a professor of American Studies and Ethnicity at the University of Southern California. Adrian is Filipino-Canadian, and his expertise is in Asian American Studies. I really wanted to hear what he had to say about the history of the word Oriental. Full transparency between y'all and me, uh, my relationship to Oriental when I was growing up was that it was used to describe rugs, and then I started hearing it being used to describe my Asian peers, and then I remember being told that that wasn't okay, that it was offensive, but I didn't know why. And even though this is an offensive term, let's just make that very clear, it's actually still used in a lot of places. So this one's going to be a bit of a deep historical dive, which y'all know I live for, but I hope you will also stick with me, okay? I think it'll be really, really worth it. So here's Adrian. The issue with um, how insidious anti-Asian racism has become is that you can find it in everyday objects, that it has become mundane, everyday, quotidian, and boring, right, Um, to um, talk about oriental goods, oriental spices. Right, that these these sort of um, racial objects um, that that has everything to do with anti-Asian as well as other kinds of racism have become reduced to spices and everyday goods to the point that when you call them out, you are called overly sensitive. 
or you are called out for not realizing that this person was just appreciating your culture. Okay, so that's why the word oriental is so hard to pin down as problematic. It's become a part of our everyday vocabulary to describe, quote, Asian things. But how did it come to mean that in the first place? Well, Adrian says that starting as far back as the 15th century, the British Empire, other European countries, and then later, the United States, saw the East as an exotic, less developed foreign land that needed to be conquered and civilized. They called this part of the world the Orient, the mysterious exotic place that lumped Asia, the Middle East, the Pacific, and all of their diverse people and cultures into one. And the main thing they wanted from the Orient? Goods and labor. So on one hand, you have what they kind of called exotic, cheap, um, you know, sort of desirable labor for plantations, railroad building, things like that, but also all these sort of coveted art pieces, quaint um, porcelain pieces that became a sort of hallmark for, you know, British and American elites and upper middle class people to collect, right? So Asia for a long time, whether it's through tea, silk, um, the spices, was the sort of coveted um, golden land for, you know, luxury goods, luxury items, um, luxury markets um, for, you know, European and American empires who were trying to tap into new places to gain wealth, gain access to, right? So oriental things like people, like goods and commodities and food became sort of collectible items, which is a sort of dehumanizing logic. And this is part of why, you know, the term oriental is so demeaning because, Um, It falls under this sort of same logic that all you Asians are the same to me. And the dehumanization went even further. To conquer the Orient, Europeans and Americans waged war. There were the Opium Wars in China, the Spanish-American War in the Philippines and Guam, and the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan. Adrian says that today in the United States, Americans are trying to forget about this history, to leave it in the past. Mm, That sounds like Americans, honey. Well, in 2016, President Obama even signed a bill to remove the word Oriental from federal law. But it's not an easy history to forget. The United States wants to continue to sort of move forward towards this imagine an impossible ideal of racial paradise, but you can't do that without literally talking about the history behind these words, these terms, and these violent histories. You gotta talk about the fact that the United States bombed the hell out of Japan and the Philippines. And that's why the word oriental is a racial slur. It's a loaded term that has been used for centuries to dehumanize Asian people and justify the destruction of Asian countries and the killing of millions of Asian lives. For me, personally, I would love to see oriental not ever be used (laughs) ever again. It needs to be well known where this term comes from. Not only why it continues to hurt today, but how it has everything to do with colonialism and the impoverishment of many Asian countries in the wake of, you know, European and American warfare. Okay, so now that we've learned from Adrian de Leon about the racist history behind the word Oriental, I wanted to chat with Debbie Irving, our in-house educator. Oriental is 
still used today as a microaggression against Asian Americans by folks like Eric's mother-in-law. And when I mentioned this to Debbie, she wanted to take a moment to break down the word microaggression and what it actually means. So whenever the term was invented, I, I thought it meant little, uh, mm-hmm. little offenses such as, you know, you're pretty for a black girl. Or, yes. uh, you know, can even be someone could think that's a compliment in a warped way, but it does not <laughs> land that way. They do. They do think it is, which is wild. I actually learned recently that the micro part of this word does not mean little. It means it's happening between individuals as opposed to macro at a systemic level. Ah, uh, and wow. yet I think the for, the former understanding has taken on a life of its own. So I like thinking yes. of it in both ways. Yes, I was going to say that there is no microaggression. It's all, it's all racism. It's all <laughs> macro. But that makes more sense. It's like this idea that micro is happening between us as opposed to happening on a systemic level, level or on a bigger stage. But it's still painful and harmful. And I think that what I what I hate about the word microaggression is because it sounds small, it seems like it should be something that you can get over quickly, mm. right? When I'm at that job interview and the employer says, you're so articulate, right, for that. Like, white people traffic in microaggressions all day, every day. But because they're not holding a noose, because they're not saying the N-word, they don't think that there's anything to correct. And there's no um, consequence or repercussion for that behavior. In my experience, white people associate racism with the KKK or something overt, macro. And it's not of them. And I think what a microaggression, if we can kind of pull the micro out, it's an aggression. And that is of you. You, If you're saying to a black girl that she's pretty for a black girl, that isn't some overt thing happening in some small southern county with pitchforks. That's happening down the block on La Brea here in L.A. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, By good people. By good, by quote-unquote good people. And that's the shift. White people have to know that they traffic in microaggressions, and that it's not micro. It's actually extremely painful and extremely hurtful to be on the receiving end of that aggression. And quite honestly, aggression feels like a light word. Mm. It doesn't explain the pain. To be a 13-year-old little black girl and see no images of yourself on TV or in magazines, to never see your beauty represented, and then a white person who you are taught is what beauty is, says to you, you're beautiful for a black girl. That's not small. Mm -mm. That stays with you until you're able to have the tools to unpack it. For me personally, like so much self-hate I had to unpack. So much self-hate from the microaggressions that I would uh, experience in my life. It's almost like cumulative aggression, cumulative traumas. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the things about microaggressions is the person who microaggresses is raising a red flag that says, I haven't done the work, I don't have any racial consciousness, mm-hmm. and I don't care enough to learn. I'd rather this conversation just went away. Mm. And so it makes it makes that person unsafe. 
Debbie will be back at the end of the show with some takeaways from Eric and Danny's story that we can apply to our own lives, which we always, always love to do here. But up next, Eric and Danny come together to talk about how he really feels about these incidents with her mother and what Danny can do to better support him. That's after the break. Hey, y'all. Before we jump back into our episode, I want to invite you to be part of our show. If you want to be a guest on this podcast, email us your story at do the work at 3uncanny4.com with the numbers spelled out. So that's do the work at 3uncanny4.com and tell us your story. Or you can call us with your story. Drop me a line at 973-922-3345. That's 973-922-3345. And now let's get back to the show. Hey, y'all. I am so happy you stayed with me. Now, before we bring our couple together for a conversation, I want to remind you of where we left off in their story. Eric and Danny are in their mid-30s, and they're making plans to start a family. Eric is concerned that the offensive comments that Danny's mother makes, you remember, like calling him Oriental or talking about how beautiful blue eyes are, well, he's concerned those kinds of comments could one day be directed at their future child, and he wants to see more forceful allyship from his wife. But Danny is struggling to figure out how to stand up for her husband and still have a good relationship with her mother. And here's the thing about Danny's mom. Despite the offensive comments she makes, Eric and Danny both want to maintain a relationship with her. I am, in her eyes, a a son. I mean, we do love her, and she is a part of our family, and it's not a person that we're going to cut out of our lives. So Danny's mother is here to stay. But Eric and Danny don't know how to do the work with her. They can't just hope it goes away. So what can they do? Well, my producers brought them together for a conversation in early September to talk about how to change the dynamic with Danny's mom. They were both hunkered down at home in Los Angeles as the wildfires raged outside. They hopped on a call with us, and we started out by asking them both to talk about the moment that really shook Eric. Y'all remember? It was when Danny's mom just gushed about how she really hopes their future child has blue eyes. Eyes like Eric's white father. It lit me on fire pretty pretty fast uh, because it did, it really hit two sort of um, soft spots for me. Those are, one, my father, who I really, really, really don't get along with. And he is uh, the side of my family where obviously the blue-eyed gene would come from. And then second is, it, it's a value judgment that uh, I am deeply familiar with that really boils down to mixed race identity being a form of eugenics. That basically you can white gene the Asian out of me. It's a painful kind of uh, suggestion because it, it feels 
like trying to take the child away from me in, in a way. For Danny, that moment had been eye-opening too. I had no concept that that comment could cause such a, um, a fire, I guess, in Eric. It was just kind of like being awoken up and being like, oh, and then com- just completely understanding and seeing where it comes from. Eric, in particular, has a lot of angst about how their future kids will navigate being mixed-raced and how comments from Danny's mom might shape their identities or perceptions of themselves. My fear for them is that they will have to live through the same kind of discomfort with their physical and emotional identity that I had to for a lot of my life. Being aware that you are different and that being associated with something negative is, I think, a difficult thing to overcome. I mean, it's impossible to overcome who you are. You can't be anybody but who you are. And if you're uncomfortable with that, then that's a that's a hard road to walk. And uh, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want the, that for our child. Of course, I don't want that either. I I would never want to for some someone that I love in my life to cause um, unforeseen uh, angst or pain in their future. Oof, baby, this is this is a tough situation to be in. Danny and Eric clearly love each other deeply. They want to do what any family wants to protect the people they love from hurt. But what can they do if that hurt is coming from another family member? There's no way we're going to fully change my mom and her ways uh, entirely. I do think uh, there's more educating that we can do. Um, But yeah, you know, she's older. She's lived her whole life this way. It's going to be challenging. Um, It's definitely going to be challenging. So how do they overcome these challenges? Danny usually talks to her mom alone after her mother makes a hurtful comment towards Eric, which, let's be real, hasn't proven effective when it comes to waking her up about race. But they've recently made a change. They've started talking to Danny's mom together about what's been going down. Obviously, Eric has these past past experiences that I don't have that he can draw from to um, show my mom what he actually experienced, which is a bit more powerful than um, me uh, trying to explain it to my mom. Um, I think one lesson that I learned through this um, was that Eric and I are a couple together and that um, we can handle, we can, handle um my mother's racism together that it's not just my responsibility um to to take it on myself i think that was something that i i didn't necessarily see before she's very protective of me (laughs) me yes i am very protective of you 
And they're making progress. Since we first talked with Eric and Danny earlier this summer, they have started having conversations with Danny's mom about race. And Eric has even shared some really personal stories with his mother-in-law, like how he was bullied at school for his Asian heritage. So I, I kind of tried to take that opportunity to explain to her. I think subtly, I don't know, maybe not subtly, but uh, what microaggressions were. She really had a, uh, like, oh, no, oh, like a, a very concerned, like a motherly kind of uh, um, oohs and ahs, you know? And, I mean, when I think back to that conversation, that's sort of what I, I cling on to more because of how upset my mom got by the idea of um, child Eric, little Eric, being made fun of for his race or being bullied. Like, she really did not like that. That really upset her. I feel like the, the conversation that we had with Danny's mom was a huge step, and, like, it really... I really, really did see a lot of compassion in her in her reaction uh, to what she heard. So Eric and Danny are making progress with Danny's mom, little by little. And Danny has also been taking the time to educate herself on race and racism. I'm sort of coming at it from this place of books and literature as a starting point, which I think is really great. And in doing that, I've had some conversations with Eric. Eric's read a bit more about all that than I have. Um, and that's been nice. It's like our own little like mini book club that's um, about race in a way. And as cheesy as it may sound, they're able to do this work together because they're coming from a place of love. We talk about, uh, you know, what the um, ideal presentation of allyship might be or the way that uh, allyship might engage but um, ultimately I think that the the best allyship is the love that Danny and I have for each other the understanding that we care for each other and that we want the best for each other and to listen always always listen to what the other person in the room wants and to what the other person in the room is asking for. And I think that our love for each other is, is that, <laughs> is listening to each other and, and hearing what, what we need and want. Aww, Eric. <laughs> You're sweetie. Oh, y'all. Now that's a hallmark moment if I ever heard one. <laughs> So before I let y'all go, I want to bring back our in-house educator, Debbie Irving. She has a few thoughts on how Eric and Danny can deal with Danny's mom going forward, and also what Danny can do as a white woman to prepare herself to one day raise a mixed-race child. I put the burden on Danny. Um, you know, this is the person who she's chosen to spend her life with, and isn't it always our job when we choose to spend our lives with someone to really understand that person? Right. Hopefully they'll be raising a child together. And one of her jobs will be to protect that child from racial harm and or educate that child so the child is prepared to go out in the world and navigate racial harm. So she's going to have to learn how to talk about and navigate conversations about race. And I think she's going to have to set some boundaries with her mother. Yes. And because racism can be so invisible and we aren't taught about it in schools or movies or books, 
um, the burden is going to be on Danny to get herself educated about how it works so that she can show up in the way Eric is going to need her to show up, and eventually that child is going to need her to show up. It's also really helpful to get into a group of white people who is doing this kind of work. And those groups exist all over the country. Actually, in Los Angeles, where uh, Daniela is, there's an incredible group called Aware LA. We need to educate ourselves and we need to get active. Getting active before education is not helpful. So education is the first step. Debbie is right. We all need to be pairing education with activism on a regular basis. And that education can start right in your home with the people you know and love. Before we close out the show today, I want to let you know that we did reach out to Danny's mom for comment, but did not hear back. Eric and Danny have talked about this episode with her, and we hope they can all continue to move forward in a positive way together. Do the Work is a Three Uncanny Four production. The show is hosted by me, Brandon Kyle Goodman. Our in-house educator is Debbie Irving. Our senior editor is Amy Eason. Our senior producer is TJ Raphael. Our associate producers are Rahima Nasa and Sharina Ong. Catherine Shoemaker is our development producer, and Jenny Kim is our production manager. Our executive producer is Laura Mayer. We had additional production help on this episode from Lena Richards. Special thanks to Adam Davidson and Nuna Sharafadeen. The show was mixed by Joanna Katcher at Nice Manners. Ava Amabehi is our fact checker, and Elishaba Itoup created the theme. If you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. And hey, why not leave a rating and a comment while you're there? It really helps new listeners find the show. Or better yet, tell somebody about us, honey. And if you want to have your own story featured on the show, email us at do the work at 3 uncannycom That's with the numbers spelled out. So, do the work at 3uncanny4.com. And now I hope y'all are taking care of yourselves as we deal with these heavy conversations. One self-care tip from me is skincare, honey. Take care of that skin. Get you a nice face wash, a serum, a scrub, an exfoliant. There is truly nothing like washing your face at the end of the day and feeling that delicious glow. Pamper yourself. You are worth it. Trust me. Oh, and one more thing. We're putting some handy resources on our website in case y'all want to do some reading up on the topics we talk about in the show. So you can find that at dotheworkpod.com. For 3 Uncanny 4, I'm Brandon Kyle Goodman. Until next time, you can find me on the gram at Brandon K. Good. Thanks for listening. Listening.